All right, so we have been working our way through Luke chapter 1. We saw that the angel appeared to Zechariah and said, uh, your wife Elizabeth, even though she's well along in years, is going to have a baby. Then uh, we, we saw that the same angel appeared to Mary and said, you're going to have a baby. And today, Mary goes to Elizabeth and talks with her, and then she sings a song of praise called the Magnificat. So let's take a look at Luke 1. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So if uh, we do geography here, It's always good to put a map up, but here's where Mary lives, up here in Nazareth. To go visit her relative Elizabeth, she would have gone through this mountain pass to the other side of the Jordan, come down on the east side of the Jordan, crossed over through Jericho to Jerusalem, and this is the hill country. We ate dinner there once. It was a lovely place, wasn't it? It was a very nice place. So um, this would be her first trip to this area. Then she's going to go back, and then they're going to go to Bethlehem, which is right in this area too, uh, for the birth. Okay, So verse 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And and let me just point out that the term Lord has been used throughout uh, chapter 1 and throughout the Gospel of Luke, and it it means God. So why is the mother of my Lord, uh, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped, I always think that should be leapt, but leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And let me just uh, point out one more thing. The word baby that leaped in uh, Elizabeth's womb, it's the word brepos. It's the same word that means a baby outside of the womb. It's used of a baby outside of the womb. It's used of a baby inside of the womb. No matter on the address of the baby, it's a baby. Okay, just a simple point. Um, So now, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now let me me just pause right there. This is a model of worship. You know, Jesus said, the Father is seeking after true worshipers. What's a true worshiper? One who worships God in spirit and in truth. And most commentators would agree that the word spirit there is is not referring to the Holy Spirit, though you can't worship God. God without the Holy Spirit, but it's referring to the human spirit. In other words, um, a true worshiper is one who is moved 
by God. There is emotion involved. And there's truth involved. Right? If you don't have truth, you could be worshiping an idol. If you don't have joy, we're just a bunch of curmudgeons moving through a service to get it over with. Right? So here she worships in spirit and in truth. Um, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. By the way, the word magnify, when they translated this into Latin, it's magnificat. Uh, so that's where we get the term the magnificat. Okay? Now, what is she moved about? What's the essence of her joy? Well, you would think the, the song would be all about a baby. Do you know that there's not a mention of a baby in her song? In fact, this is a song about how God brings down the arrogant and raises up the humble. Right? It's a song about how God humbles the exalted and exalts the humble. In fact, it fits here because she's a nobody living in a nobody town, a nowhere town. You, Mary, will be the mother of the Messiah. Right? But this song could be placed all throughout Scripture because a theme that we see about our God is He brings down the exalted and He raises up the humble. So, notice this theme. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For, behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now, she's not bragging here. She's just saying, I can't believe this. I'm a nobody. And now I'm the mother of the Messiah and for the rest of the generations people will see me as blessed. That's all she's doing. She's praising God. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. And that's not tremble in terror. It's revere him. She may be a nobody, but she fears God. She's a devout follower of Jehovah God. So his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. You know, sometimes you can't tell who's proud or arrogant, but in their minds they are. That's where arrogance resides, in the minds of people, right? He scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. This is about bringing kingdoms down. And he's exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. The great reversal. The arrogant, those who are satisfied, self-sufficient, he brings down, he raises up the humble. And now... She ties it to Abraham. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. God promised a man named Abraham that through your seed, your offspring, the world will be blessed. It's got kind of a double meaning. Uh, 
there's an element where it's the descendants, the, the people of Israel. But then we see that the Apostle Paul in Galatians says that word seed is also referring to one person, to Jesus. And whether Mary ties that all together and knows that, I, I don't know. Um, but she's tying what's about to happen back to Abraham. Okay, So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to use Mary's song uh, as a song to praise God. In fact, there, there's zero practical application other than to go, yay, God. Right? And that's very practical. We're here to worship God, right? So I want to take us through a bunch of, of Old Testament examples where God humbles the exalted and he exalts the humble. All right? You ready for this? Here we go. And we'll see how many we can get through. Um, oh, by the way, a lot of times when we think of the birth of Jesus, we think silent night. And a, a song that Mary would write would be a, like a lullaby. I think if you were to put this to music, it should be heavy metal. Right? It's about tearing down kingdoms and raising up the humble. Okay? So let's begin with a guy named Joseph. Joseph is one of 12 brothers. The father is Jacob. Jacob favors Joseph, and he gives him a technicolor dream coat. Right? We don't, that's Donny Osmond stuff. But this is, uh, Jacob gives him a coat. His brothers are jealous. They hate him. And they hate him so much they're going to kill him. But then one of the brothers says, you know what? Let's not kill him. There's no, no money involved in that. Here come some slave traders. Let's sell him into slavery. So they sell him for some silver. And he is sold into Egyptian slavery. And he's in the house of a man named Potiphar. And he's actually doing quite well until Potiphar's wife accuses him of rape. He's falsely accused of rape and thrown into prison. Now, in prison, there are two of Pharaoh's servants, a cupbearer and a baker, who are in prison. And they discover that Joseph can interpret dreams. And he interprets their dreams. And uh, they get released from prison. And he says, hey, one thing. Don't forget about me. The, the baker gets killed. The cupbearer, though, goes to serve Pharaoh. And guess what he does? He forgets about Joseph. And years go by. But then Pharaoh has a disturbing dream about some cows. He dreams about seven skinny cows eating seven fat cows. And he doesn't know how to interpret it. What would you do with that? I would say something to do with skim milk is better than 2%. I don't know. <laughs> Mad cow disease, they're eating each other. I don't know. So what do we do? And Pharaoh is, is, is beside himself, and the, the cupbearer goes, oh, forgot. There's a guy rotting away in prison. It's a Jewish guy named Joseph. He can interpret dreams. Pharaoh says, bring him out. They clean him up, shave him up. And uh, he says, oh, Pharaoh, here's, the, here's what this means. It's going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. You should store up for the famine. 
And Pharaoh goes, yes, awesome, thank you, we'll do that. We need somebody really smart to run that program. And he elevates Joseph from prison, from the dungeon, to being at the right hand of the most powerful man in the world. Who's that, who's that a picture of? Right? You'd connect the dots there. Right? So he becomes, he, he goes from humble nobody to the prime minister of the world. And then his brothers come begging for food. They don't know it's him because of the Egyptian makeup that you saw in the movie. Right? <laughs> and Joseph starts toying with them. And I'm going to ask this question in connection time. What would you do if you were Joseph and your brothers who wanted to kill you and they sold you into slavery come begging? What would you do? Well, he forgives them. He provides for them uh, and takes care of his father. And it's a picture of Christ. It's also a picture of this. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Now, the Israelites are in Egypt for 400 years. And they're multiplying. Um, Problem is, there's a new pharaoh who doesn't like them, and he makes them slaves. And this evil, powerful pharaoh hates the Jewish people, and he has the babies thrown into the Nile River. Right? Except one baby is rescued and put in a basket and floated down the river. And who happens to be in the river swimming that day but pharaoh's daughter? She rescues the baby. She raises him uh, in the palace, and that his name is Moses. Now, Moses, one day he's out watching what's happening with these slaves, and he sees a slave master uh, beating a, 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 a Jewish man, and he hauls off and he hits the slave master and kills him. And somebody sees it. So he has to flee for his life, and he goes to the desert where for 40 years, he's a nobody. He's taking care of sheep. 40 years of being a nobody. And then God appears to him in the burning bush and says, Moses, you're going to deliver my people. Go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. So Moses reluctantly goes, and Pharaoh says, sure, right? No, Pharaoh says, no. So God says, hey, Moses, tell them about the plagues. And, and uh, Moses says, God's going to bring some plagues on you, plagues of frogs and flies and darkness and blood and the death of the firstborn. And finally, Pharaoh reluctantly lets all of the Israelites go, and then he changes his mind. And there... There the Israelites are trapped up against the sea, the, the Red Sea. And here comes Pharaoh and his army and his chariots. They're going to destroy the Israelites. And Moses, oh, we've got to have a picture of Moses here. Moses stands on the rock, he holds up his staff, and God parts the Red Sea. The Israelites go through on dry land. Pharaoh and his chariots are chasing after them. And swoosh, the water closes in and destroys Pharaoh and his army. 
He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. So the Israelites go into the land and um, they conquer the land. And then what do they do? They fall into depravity and idolatry. And it's just a mess in the book of Judges. But in the middle of all this depravity, we read about a humble, poor girl named Ruth. In fact, she is actually not an Israelite. She's a Moabite. She's from uh, the nation of Moab. So so actually, uh, the family that we're going to start talking about is in Bethlehem, but she lives over here in Moab. Now, here's what happens. There's a family, a father and a mother and two sons, and there's a famine in the land. So they say, let's go someplace else to get food. So they travel to Moab, and while in Moab, the, the boys find wives. One of them's name is Ruth. She's a, a, a Moabite girl, right? And then, as fate would have it, all the men die. And then, Naomi, the mother, says, I'm going back because there's a famine here. Let's go back to, to Bethlehem. Who's with me? And one of the daughter-in-law says, not me. So, Naomi and Ruth go back to Bethlehem. They don't have a penny to their name. And uh, Ruth survives the way poor people survived. It's called gleaning. She would go into a field. God said when you have a field and you have wheat, don't harvest the edges or the corners. Let the poor pick the grains off the heads of wheat. So she goes to this field and is picking little grains of wheat. And hopefully by the end of the day she'll have enough to bake a loaf of bread to feed her and her mother-in-law. Okay. Now, long story short, the guy who owns the field, his name is Boaz. He kind of takes a liking to her. And she, let's just put it this way, she offers herself as available. Okay. And he marries her, provides for her, provides for the mother-in-law, and they have a baby. Right? And here's how the book ends. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. He's our field owner. Boaz fathered Obed. That's the baby. Obed fathered Jesse. Who's he? And Jesse fathered David. Here... A nobody, poverty-stricken Moabite becomes great-grandma to the greatest king of Israel. Right? For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. You want another one? Okay. All right, you're going to get one. All right. Speaking of David, 
Uh, David is one of eight brothers. He's a lowly shepherd boy. And that one day, the, uh, the prophet of Israel, Samuel, shows up to his house and says, gather all the sons. So seven of them get in a line. They don't even bother with David. He's, they, he's got to take care of the sheep. Right? And Samuel's going to go down the line and anoint the next king. He goes to the oldest one. No, nope, not him. Next one, not him. Not him. He gets to the last one. He goes, is there another brother? And they're like, no. no. Oh, you mean D- David? <laughs> not David. He's, he's taking care of the dog or the sheep. Right? Well, bring him in. A little scrawny David comes in. And Samuel anoints him to be the next king of Israel. And even as a boy, David kills a giant. But the current king of Israel, Saul, rather than praising David, becomes insanely, demonically jealous of David. Tries to kill him. He throws his spear at him a few times. Then he, he gathers, Saul gathers 3,000 commandos from the army to track David down in the desert and kill him. But he doesn't kill him. Now David has a couple opportunities to kill Saul, but he doesn't. He says, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. Right? And God brings it about that Saul is killed by the Philistines and it's unquestionable that David is to be the next king of Israel, and he is crowned king. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Now, while David is fleeing for his life in the desert, he gathers about 600 men with him, and he's fleeing for his life, and, um, but he has to feed these, these 600 men. So um, he has to find people who will help him out and provide meals for his men. Now, um, he knows about a rich guy named Nabal. And he has a herd of 4,000 sheep. So David sends a mes- messenger to Nabal and he says, hey, could you provide a meal for my men? And Nabal sends an insult back to David. And David, in a a moment of irrational anger, says to his men, strap on your swords. We're going to slaughter that whole operation. Now, Nabal happens to be married to a woman named Abigail. We'll call her Abby. Abby hears that David and his men are coming to kill them. So, this is what happens. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seahs of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisin and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. It's a traveling golden buffet, golden corral here. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She's begging for her life and 
she's saying, David, wake up. <laughs> You're not thinking here. Do you want to be a murderer? And he comes to his senses. Let not my Lord regard that. Look at this. What she calls her husband, Nabal. Let, let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal means fool, or sounds like fool. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. And what does David do? Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you, who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. So he says, I'm not going to kill anybody. Thank you, Abigail, for bringing me to my senses. Poor Abby has to go back to Nabal, and he's drunk. He's having a big party, and he's so drunk. Um, he falls asleep, and the next day, it says this, In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And it says, ten days later, he keels over and he dies. Well, now what? Tale as old as time. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. More, or are we done? More, More okay. <laughs> I can keep you here all day. Right? No. Um, let's do one more. Esther. Israel is conquered by the Babylonians, and they bring a bunch of the Israelites into captivity. So the Israelites are living all over the eastern world. Then Persia conquers Babylon, and the Persians are now in charge of the world. And the king of the world is Asherahiz. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. All right, Asherahiz or something like that. Okay. What is it? Ahasuerus. Okay. He's the king. The book begins with this king who's rather unstable guy. Okay. Um, and his queen, the lovely Vashti, he uh, is drunk, he's having a big party, and he goes, oh, my wife is so beautiful, let's put her on parade, Vashti, come and show off your beauty in front of all these drunk men. And she refuses. And he goes, what do I do? And he calls his counselors and they go, we can't let this happen. Women will not be submitting to their husbands. Banish her. So he banishes her. Now, He's a king without a queen. What's he going to do? Advisors say, let's have a beauty contest. You need you a harem. Okay. So they gather all the beautiful women of the world. And it um, turns out that there's one girl named, what's her name? Esther. Right? And she wins the favor of the king, becomes the queen. Now, he doesn't know it, but she's Jewish. She is an orphan girl, but she's being raised by Uncle Morty, Mordecai, right? And um, Mordecai has an enemy 
Now, she, she's queen. Mordecai has an enemy named Haman. Haman's an advisor to the king. <coughs> Haman walks around town and makes everybody bow down to him. Guess who won't bow? Yeah, Morty. So Haman hates Mordecai and the Jews. So he tricks the king, probably in a drunken state, to sign a decree for Jewish Purge Day. Where uh, it's legal to kill the Jews on this day. King signs it, and now we've got the extermination of the Jews on the books. Okay, So... Um, uh, to prepare for Jewish Purge Day, Haman builds a huge gallows upon which to personally hang Morty. Well, then Mordecai gets word to Esther, and he says, Hey, Esther, don't think that you've risen to, to this position just to live in luxury. God has you here for such a time as this to save the Jews. You need to talk to the king. Now, the only problem is you can't just walk into the king's throne room. He could kill you. So she has to decide, do I enter the, the presence of the king without being announced, risking my own life or not? And she says, yes, I will. And if I perish, I perish. And she says to the king, I have a big banquet prepared for you. Would you join me and bring your buddy Haman along? And at the dinner, she exposes this plot. And the king hangs Haman on the gallows that was prepared for Mordecai. Mordecai becomes the new advisor to the king. And you can't reverse the decree, but he says, Now, Jews, you can defend yourselves. And they defeat 75,000 of their attackers. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Now, last great reversal. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Could be translated a slave. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, and not just any kind of death, even death on a cross. God humbles himself allows himself to be crucified in our place to pay for our sins. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Let's pray. God, we praise you. We, we, uh, our, our souls exalt in you because you humble the arrogant and you raise up the humble. Lord, if there are any among us who need to be humbled, do that, Lord. And then draw us to place our faith in you. And then we trust in the promise that you will exalt the humble one day when we spend eternity with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.